Ladies and gentlemen of the media, it is wonderful to be in Johannesburg, and I thank the people and government of South Africa for their warm welcome. The Rainbow Nation has been an inspiration to nations everywhere, navigating their own paths to reconciliation and unity. And today, South Africa is a powerful champion of the calls by the Global South for greater equality and justice in international affairs. Calls the world is hearing loud and clear, and also here at the 15th BRICS Summit. My message to the leaders assembled here was clear. Our world is in dire straits. We face existential challenges, from the worsening climate emergency and escalating conflicts to the global cost of living crisis, soaring inequalities, and dramatic technological disruptions. So this is a time to come together and to work together. But instead, divisions are growing and tensions are rising. Several factors contribute to these divisions. Diverging perspectives on global crises, contrasting approaches to non-traditional security threats, different strategies towards new technologies, and of course, the consequences of COVID-19 and of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And I remain deeply concerned over the risk of a fracturing of the global order. We are entering a multipolar world, but history has shown time and again that multipolarity without strong multilateral institutions is no guarantee for stability. It might even become a catalyst for chaos. So we must urgently restore trust and reinvigorate multilateralism. And this requires the courage to compromise for the common good. It requires effective international institutions rooted in 21st century realities based on the UN Charter and international law. And as I emphasize today at the summit, it requires a special focus on Africa. The Security Council, the Bretton Woods system, and other international organizations reflect the world of 1945, when many African countries were still part of European empires. To this day, the continent is underrepresented in the global financial architecture, just as it lacks a permanent seat on the Security Council. The world has changed, and so global governments must change with it. It must represent today's power and economic relations and not the power and economic relations of 1945. And that is why I've been advocating deep reforms to make global frameworks truly universal and representative of today's realities and more responsive to the needs of developing economies. We need more inclusive institutions at every level, including through greater representation of women and young people. But all this in a context in which I believe two areas require a particularly important reform effort. One is the Security Council, the second, the Bretton Woods system. If we are not able to reform the, our institutions and make sure that they reassume a truly universal character, we risk fragmentation, and fragmentation can be one day a factor of confrontation. 
And we also need, in each society, a new social contract based on respect for all human rights, social, cultural, economic, civil and political. And finally, we need to act in solidarity and with greater urgency in several future defining areas. And allow me to refer some of them. First, action to save our planet. Developed countries have a particular responsibility, and so they must lead and they must deliver. On 100 billion US dollars promised to developing countries, on the loss and damage fund, on doubling adaptation finance, on replenishing the Green Climate Fund, and on plans for early warning systems to protect every person in the world, including six in ten Africans who still lack those systems. As a matter of justice, Africa must be considered a priority in all these crucial commitments. Every country has a role to play. That is why I have proposed the Climate Solidarity Pact, in which all big emitters make extra efforts to cut emissions and wealthier countries support emerging economies to do so. And I have put forward an acceleration agenda to supercharge these efforts in order to guarantee that we maintain the 1.5 degrees Celsius limit as a reality. So it's time to break our addiction to fossil fuels and to invest in a just and equitable transition. And we must bring affordable electricity to everyone on Earth, and particularly in Africa, while simultaneously reaching net zero electricity by 2035 in developed countries and 2040 elsewhere. I commend South Africa for stepping up as pioneers of the Just Transition Energy Partnership, a crucial tool to unlock emission cuts, boost renewables and grow the green economy. Second, we need action to save economies and reduce inequalities. The pandemic has underscored once again how the global financial architecture is outdated, dysfunctional and unjust. It has failed in its basic function as a global safety net, and so it needs deep structural reform. But I also know that such change will not happen overnight, and so I have proposed a number of measures we can take right now and they include providing a Sustainable Development Goals stimulus to direct investments towards the Sustainable Development Goals with a funding equivalent of 500 billion US dollars, overhauling the business models of multilateral development banks so that they massively increase affordable financing and leverage far more private finance to the developing world, including also the need to increase their own capital, Establishing an effective debt workout mechanism to support payment suspensions, longer lending terms and lower rates. The debt situation in many African countries, as well as in many other parts of the developing world, is today absolutely intolerable. The majority of African countries pay more of their budget in interests for the debt than in education or in health, and so we need to make sure that there is an effective debt reduction mechanism in place until now what we had is too little and too late. We also need to make international tax cooperation more inclusive and more effective so countries can support each other in generating financing for sustainable development, and 
working together to stop illicit financial flows that are draining vital resources from the African continent. Taken together, these steps would go a long way in equipping developing economies in Africa and beyond with the means to invest in key transitions across energy, education, digital, health, and more. So, ladies and gentlemen of the media, the months ahead will be vital. From the Africa Climate Summit, where I will be in Nairobi uh, in two weeks' time, the G20 Summit, to the SDG and Climate Ambition Summits at the United Nations in September, to COP28 in December, we have important opportunities to set a path to a better, more peaceful, and more just world. And we have no time to lose, and I thank you for your patience.